At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, good morning, everyone. As I said at the beginning, my name is Nathan Didlike. I am the Associate Pastor of Worship and Communities here at Woodside Bible Church. It's my privilege to preach before you this morning from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. So if you have a Bible or a tablet or any sort of instrument, there's also Bibles in the pew before you. I'd like to invite everyone to stand as we read God's Word. And at the very end of our sermon series called Newish, let's read together. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. For through the commandment, that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do the very, for what I want, I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law raging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, my family, as you all probably know, we moved here about eight months ago, and uh, it was a beautiful, hot summer day when we moved in. But then something happened about two weeks into our moving here. Rain, non-stop rain. I love a good rainy day. I love snuggling next to a book and just being by myself, reading and listening to the pitter-patter against uh, whatever building I'm in. But unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. Unfortunately, in my new home, this rain, which was designed for my good, 
ended up becoming a source of great pain as my entire basement flooded. Now, I have never had a basement before in my life, but I can tell you that I did not respond terribly well to the fact that my basement was suddenly flooding. I went down there and there was like a cool one inch. I was like, well, what do I do with that? So I did the best thing I knew to do. I started like putting it in a bucket and pouring it down a drain, which of course exacerbated the problem. And then uh, the next morning I come out and there is a cool seven inches of water through the entire basement, which I later found out once a very helpful saint of God came in and showed me how to do what was right. I got a little $98 pump from Home Depot and I pumped what ended up being 5,000 gallons of water out of our basement. Why do I tell you this horrible tale that I did not throughout the entire time express much in the way of Christianity within? It's because I love the rain and the rain is good, but it became death to me and a panic attack. And it was horrible, and I absolutely hated it. And today, we're going to look at something similar, the good law of God, the good law that God has given to us so that we might have grace beyond measure, because this is the big idea, and I'm going to tell it to you at the beginning. There's not going to be a surprise here. Where the law fails, Christ prevails. Now, what does that mean? Let's look at it together. First, we need to ask, what does Paul mean by the word law? It's very important that we don't just brush past that. We, also, we have to have a mutual understanding of what Paul means when he says the word law throughout this entire chapter. Well, it's basically this. Well, actually, let's start with what it's not. The law is not legalism. That's not shorthand for legalism. When Paul is speaking about the law, he is not saying what we oftentimes see it used as, as a means of keeping the insiders in and the outsiders out, which is what legalism is. The law has been used that way. In fact, it was used that way in Jesus' own day. It was used that way in Paul's day. It's used that way in churches all across the country every single day. But that is not what Paul has in mind when he's speaking about the law. The next thing we need to understand, and this is important, the law is not reference or shorthand for our legal systems. As nice and as good as the laws and the constitution of our land might be, they were not given by God. And so when we think about the word law here, we should not see the American systems in there. The American systems were not given from Sinai to Moses to give to the children of Israel. What instead, this is a big slide, a lot to absorb here, the law is this. The legal covenant document given to Israel to show them who they are and what God wants of them. The law is the legal covenant document given to the people of Israel to tell them who they are and what God wants of them. In general, it refers to the first five books of the Old Testament. This is what the people of Israel called the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They told the story of who Israel was. And most of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy is narrative form. There are actually very little parts, well, there's a lot, but it's in terms of the whole, it's mostly a story. And so people were supposed to read the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and come away knowing who they were based upon their relationship to these people. This is the covenant document given to tell Israel who they were and what God wants of them. It's their origin story. It's their identity within the wider framework. But it's not just a narrative. It's not just a story. It also does contain what we naturally call law, statutes, ordinances, legal codes, and all that stuff. 
we're probably all aware of the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. And those make more or less sense to us. But there are some in there that are strange and don't make sense in our modern context. And you might even, as I have done, read them and feel pity for Israel for having to even deal with this stuff. That's because we have a hard time seeing the law for what it is. The law was given to Israel as a reflection of their covenant relationship to God. And those laws showed them how God wanted them to live in the world so they could fulfill their purpose and be a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkened nations. So let me make one thing very clear about how the law works. Obedience to the law came out of Israel's relationship with God. Obedience did not create that relationship with God. If you read the Old Testament law, which I encourage you to do, even the parts that are confusing, you'll keep on finding this salient point that the doing of the law was the expression of their righteousness. The doing of the law showed their heart in relationship to God. But what God, when God saved them from captivity to from the, um, the Egyptians, that was the moment that God won them for himself and made them his covenant people. But obedience comes out of it and doesn't create a relationship with God. Many people think that it does. That's not what the Old Testament says. So, the law is the legal document given to Israel to tell them who they are and what God wants of them. But what happened when God gave the holy law to Israel? Instead of uniting them with God, it actually had the inverse effect. It united them with their first father, Adam, and all of his sin and rebellion. As Jeremy showed us last week, if you read through chapter, verses 1 through uh, 6 of Romans chapter 7, you'll find that instead of the law binding us to God, it bound us to sin. The law showed Israel how to bear fruit to God, but it gave them none of the power to do that. Verse 5 of Romans 7 says, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to life. No, to bear fruit to death. Yuck! Does anyone see here something that's a problem? Does anyone else think the law sounds pretty horrible by this point? Well, that's why Paul is jumping in for a full-on discursus of what the law is and how it relates to us. Because the law became a part of the problem. Instead of uniting us with the God who gave it to us, the law united us to our sinful passions. Let's look at, let's look at verses 7 through 12 together. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was alive once apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Through this law comes the knowledge of sin. But does that mean the law is sin in and of itself? Absolutely not, Paul says. What does this mean? What it means is this, is that God gave the law 
And the law showed us what was holy and displeasing, unholy and displeasing to God, which is actually a good gift. It shows us what is inside of us. It shows us what God deplores. Unfortunately, this good and holy gift landed with us, humans. Humans who, if you read the Old Testament law, are born into sin because of our first father, Adam. We have been marred by the fall. The law comes in and shows just how far we fell. When God gave the law to Israel, it showed humanity how far the fall was. In verse 7, Paul says, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Produced in me. What a horrible mechanism. This great and glorious gift, instead of landing with us and producing life, produces evil. Here's an example. Now, I've been in ministry for the last 12 years, and I have known that there are two places in life where you want to see the piranhas come out and devour everyone around them. These are the places. The first one is a wedding. You want to watch everyone suddenly turn into monsters. That's what happens at a wedding. Suddenly, Aunt so-and-so, who has never interacted with this couple, has something that she wants happening at this wedding. And boy, does she throw a fit when it doesn't happen. The second one, and the one that's even more sad, is a funeral. What happens is at funerals, and I tell this to every couple, so this is free of charge. If you ever are going to die, please set your effects in order. Please, for the good of everyone, have on a piece of paper everything that you want done. You will save the consciences of everyone who follows you because this is what happens when money is on the line. Two minutes ago, no one knew Aunt the so-and-so existed. But suddenly, she has bequeathed to all of us her multi-millions. And so a family, which starts off the day happy and jolly, turns into a bunch of piranhas seeking the money because now there's money to be had. It happens every single time. Now, is money bad? No. Money is actually a great gift, something to be stewarded and enjoyed. But what happens when this good gift of the multi-millions from aunt so-and-so lands on a sinful heart? It produces death. I've seen it every time. So if you are ever going to die, please put your affairs in order. Save the further generations from this problem. The problem was not the law. It was the sin within us that the law came in and put a flashlight on. Paul, in verse 24, imagines himself actually as historical Israel in this. And he says, uh, see, was this the one? Nah. He imagines himself as historical Israel in verse 9. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So you read through that Old Testament narrative where Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai, and suddenly the law comes down, and the, instead of everyone having rejoicing, Paul reconfigures the story that everyone at the bottom is dead now, because that's what happens when the holy light of God shines on humans. And because of sin, this now happens in verse 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Back to Paul's question. Is this, the law, sinful if it has so many bad effects? Paul says, absolutely not. Verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous is good. The law is not sinful 
we are. The law revealed, exacerbated, and condemned what it found in us. The mirror was too clean. The light was too bright. It revealed what was inside of us. The horrible lurking monster that dwells inside every human being. And though everyone had died from Adam to Moses, the law came in and showed us why. It showed us why we die. It showed us why we, we fight. It's because for all the good that still remains in humanity, the places where we still reflect the Imago Day, we are still profoundly enslaved to sin. And it goes deep within us. We were enslaved to sin before the law came in. The law comes in, finds out what's there, and says, this is why you die. Here, let me show you what the problem is. But the law is neither the sin nor is it the death, which is the second question Paul is going to answer now. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what, what is, that which is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am under the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I no longer do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now no longer it is I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. Now, people debate this passage. If you've heard this passage preached before, you've heard a pastor take one of two sides. Is Paul talking about his own daily experience? Or is Paul embodying the story of Israel and talking about how the law played out in their lives? I'm going to cheat and say it's both. Here's why. Because in verse 9, Paul has already shown us that he's not afraid of embodying the story of Israel, play acting, to take Israel's own story upon himself and work through it. But he's also a sinner and has faced the same confusion in his own life. This isn't just a corporate jagged experience for everyone. This is the jagged experience of every person, everywhere, no matter what. You see, the good law, instead of helping fruitless people bear fruit, became a part of the problem. It's like a life raft, which exists to save lives, drowning its people. It's not sinful. It isn't death. But the way that it works in human existence is sinful and death. So now we have a multiplicity of issues. Now we have confusion and personhood and self and direction and desire. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. Have you ever felt that way? Verse 15 still, I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Ask anyone who's ever tried a diet whether or not they could just, out of resolve, just suddenly enter the zenith of health and personhood. It's that same confusion that exists within our souls that causes us to end up on this broken path. And so in verse 16, we find that while we hate doing what we do and we 
don't do what we want, we look up and we see the goodness of God's law, and we do find in verse 16 that it's good. But then it just spirals out of control. Verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Remember, the law was given by God as a covenant document given by God to Israel to show them who they are and what God wanted. Do you think that is the right end product? Do we think this confusion and this brokenness of self, the absolute twistedness of our reaction to it, is what should have happened? No, Paul says there's actually a further law at play, and this is the law of sin and death. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. What a terrifying thought. Every time we seek to do right, evil's right there offering us that which is bad. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can do it? When that which is good and holy ends up creating death everywhere, who's the one who can reach in and pull us out? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law with God, with my mind. With my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, Romans chapter 6 tells us how Jesus, by his death, overcame sin. And it's an important, awesome passage. But Romans 7 shows us further how God overcame a problem that existed as well. How the law had tied us to Adam and made us unable to do what is right. Where the law fails, though, Christ prevails. The law came for us to a problem, but for Jesus, it was a freedom. The law looked at him, and he looked right back at it. And there was no problem whatsoever. One of my favorite hymns is called, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. And here's one of my favorite lines. Let us wonder, grace and justice, come and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. You hear what it's saying there? When through the grace of Christ you've put your trust in Jesus, the law now looks at you and he says, ah, oh, you're awesome. You're clean and righteous and good and pure. Because, friends, Yes, you were saved by the death of Christ, but you were also saved by his holy, righteous, law-keeping life. And this is the big, the big joy of Romans 7, is that the righteous, law-abiding love and life of Christ has been applied to you if you put your faith and trust in him. This is what Romans, Paul is expressing 
Jesus in the, the Sermon on the Mount said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I say, truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Now, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are seen to have fulfilled the law as well. We have this idea, we sad, sully Christians, that God looks at us and goes, oh man, why did they mess up again? No, it's so much bigger. When you've placed your faith in Christ, he sees you perfectly righteous. He sees you through the righteousness of your son, his son. He sees your past, present, and future as being of someone who has fulfilled the law. And spoilers, now there is now no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because you, O oh child of God, have placed your faith and trust in God's loving Son. Now you have received his lived-out righteousness. So justice looks at you, the law looks at you, and sees a friend. And now no longer are you tied to your first father, Adam. You are tied to the second Adam, Christ. For, but for a non-Christian, they still exist under this bondage, under this twistedness of self, even the good that they do, evil lies close at hand. But thanks be to God that as a Christian, you are no longer condemned by the law. You are edified and sent free from it. You are said, yes, go you, rock and roll, you did it, yes, yes. And the law smiles because finally, because of what Jesus has done, the law accomplishes in you what it was supposed to. It helps you bear fruit to God. You see, when you look at the precious life of Jesus and his perfections, that's now become your story too. It's not just, I have died with Christ, I was raised with Christ. You are also seen to have lived with Christ. And so now the law points us to what it was supposed to do. It points us to God. It helps us bear fruit to Jesus. Having had its day on stage, it's now retired and it's like, I'm done. I'm going to go to the Bahamas and rest on a beach with a mojito. Enjoy the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Enjoy all the good that God has accomplished because the era of the law is finished. What God has accomplished is good because where the law failed, Christ prevailed. If you are here this morning and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you, I plead with you, let the righteousness of Christ be yours. All you have to do is place your faith in him. That's it. And then you'll have all of your unrighteousness replaced with full righteousness. And the law of God will look upon you and smile. And dear Christian friend, there is therefore now no condemnation upon you. When the Lord looks on you, even at your worst, he sees a child that he loves. He sees one for whom his soul delights. He doesn't look at you and see someone that he, res he regrets saving. He sees a child whose righteousness looks like the righteousness of the king. Because where the law failed, Christ prevailed. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we can hardly keep in our mind what it means that we have been made righteous from sin. But now there's this element that many of us are unfamiliar with. You've made us righteous and set us free from the law too. Through the perfect righteous law keeping 
work of Jesus. Whether we hold it well in our minds or forget it, we thank you that we have been given a great salvation. A salvation that sets us free and brings us life now. I thank you that you no longer look at us with, through the lens of the law, but instead the law points us back to you and smiles. And so for everyone here this morning, I pray that the good word of Christ in Romans 7 would bind their hearts to Christ and they would experience joy and gladness and that they would experience the goodness of a salvation that sets them free, gives them a clean conscience, and tells them that it's going to be okay in the end because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. We bring glory to your name. We thank you for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.